Trevor. Um, so, um, just going through it, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over your sons or your people, he will arise, and there will be a time of distress, such as never occurred since there was nation, until that time, and at that time, your people, everyone who's found and written in the book of will be rescued. Be a time of great tribulation, and nothing like that that has ever happened will happen again, has happened before, nor, says Jesus in the chapter 24, will it happen again. Key, that's a key thought. So this is called the great tribulation. This is what he's referring to. The great trouble, such as never was, uh, implies a very unique time in history. Hey, Dwarfes. Um So, uh, this abomination of desolation is this central political and religious event. It's going to reveal the timing of the Antichrist's rise onto the world stage when he puts his image in Jerusalem. That's the abomination. So uh, I want to just talk about what that is because we hear that all the time. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24, the abomination of desolation. So, so what's an abomination? Abomination is something that is grievously offensive to the Lord. So you do something that's an abomination. It is offensive to him. Um, uh, it's a political or religious event. Um, or, or, so, yeah, something really evil in the eyes of the Lord. Um, uh, and it's a type of evil that brings uh, desolation or great destruction. So it's this thing that's really offensive to the Lord that results in a great, uh, great destruction. Um, and there's two two pieces to this that we're gonna uh, that we're gonna notice in terms of the end times coming. When Antiochus Epiphanes gave his kind of uh, symbol of the of the uh, abomination of desolation in 160 B.C. ish, he had set up a statue of Zeus in the temple, and he sacrificed a pig, and and uh, and that was. That was offensive, grievously offensive to the Jews. It was something that that resulted uh, in probably the rise up of the Maccabees, etc. Uh, but that was not the time of the Great Tribulation. That was a t- period of tribulation. It was a type of Antichrist, like John talks about. But the when the Antichrist comes and shows up, there will be an image set up in the temple that is constructed at that time. It will be grievous unto the Lord. It will be an abomination. It will result in a desolation. It will it will be uh, something that is tied in with the mark of the beast, where mandated that you worship this beast, this antichrist who is there at the time. This that's a central event. He enters the temple in Jerusalem. He declares himself to be God, and then he demands on pain of death that the whole world worship him. That's what Second Thessalonians is talking about. Um, and central to this time of Antichrist reign is that sin reaches this really high level. And we can see it ramping up right now. And, and demonic power reaches this really high level. Um, in verse 4, uh, many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. It's really interesting reading the uh, commentaries about these verses. Many going back and forth and knowledge will increase. Um, Several commentators go out of their way to say that does not mean that the modern times that we're seeing today are an indication that things are getting worse. Uh, I think that's exactly what it means. <laughs> I mean, I think it's precisely what it means. One of them, uh, back in the day, I heard this, <laughs> heard this story about, about uh, Isaac Newton, who was a Christian, who was saying he, he was prevalent over this very verse because he wrote a commentary on Daniel. And he said, you know... Um, Many will go back and forth 
across the globe. He goes, in order for that to happen, in order for people to travel that far around the world, because people did not leave their hometowns, you know, very often. I mean, it was the explorers that did that. By and large, people stuck their hometowns. In order for people to leave and go miles across to uh, other towns and other countries, people would have to travel as much as 50 miles an hour. And uh, um, I forgot the man's name who, who, uh, what's that? Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton said that, and so his his uh, his uh, the person who's commenting said, "You idiot, you, <laughs> you can't you can't go 50 miles an hour. If you go fit more than 50 miles an hour, your heart will explode. You'll have a heart attack." And, and so this is Isaac Newton at the time. It turns out many of us went way more than 50 miles an hour just to get here. But <laughs> but yeah, so this is I thought that was really interesting because. Um, we have entered an age, I remember very clearly reading something called, a, a book called Megatrends back in the 90s. And, and it was making the point based on an analysis of certain words used in the media that we have well, we have left behind the industrial age and we've entered into an, an information age. It was the start of the information age back in the 80s. And we are like massively into it right now. In fact, until 1900, uh, I got this, this is a, uh, I, I saw this, but this is actually something that uh, Bickle says as well. Until 1900, human knowledge doubled about every century. By the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling about every 25 years. Today, on average, knowledge is doubling every 13 months. So it used to take 100 years for knowledge to double. After World War II, about 25 years. Now, every year and a half, yeah? What is knowledge? Knowledge? Like in that... Like, what is it, how does it measure what, like, what is doubling? Yeah, well, they're saying, like, basically, well, in this case, the, the figure they're using now for 13 months, they're using scientific discovery. Newly published journals, newly published articles that are typically novel research and novel discoveries. And, and, and that's probably the, what the case was back in 1990. I don't know what their scale was back then. But, um, and then, you know, there's this claim that when the internet really gets going, things will double in hours. But the fact is, and it's it's obvious, I mean, if you just look around, we are in an information age where 20 years ago, you, 20 years ago, no, but 30 years ago, you could not look up something as easily as you could today, where, you know, I, I wanted to find out, you know, I forget what I, well, I wanted to find out what uterine atomy was, which is what my daughter was suffering from. I looked it up on the phone immediately. I, I knew more medical information about that than I, than I could ever have found 30 years ago in, in, uh, in a week. Um, it's just we are in that phase, and certainly with the travel, et cetera. Th this knowledge will increase, uh, and people going back and forth is an indication that we are in that phase. Um, and, and it's the best of times and it's the worst of times because this is also a very great benefit to the kingdom, very great benefit to ministry in terms of um, uh, being able to share the gospel and being able to, um, in fact, tomorrow if you, if you go to uh, Parkway, talk to David Kim about his website really quick. I guess it'll be okay to record. He went to a class about how to, uh, how to uh, use the internet. And so he learned that what you can do is discover what people, are, what questions people are asking. And so he'll find a question on the spiritual topic that he's interested in, and if and he'll write an article on that topic, 
And so many people are asking for it. He provides an article. All of a sudden, that article rises to the top of the hits. And David uh, now has two million followers on his tiny little website that he's doing from his office in, in Parkway because he's hitting exactly the spiritual questions that people want to ask. He does it in small, pithy, meaning quick, brief articles that are, that are uh, clear. And he's reaching people, and people are being led to the Lord. He's got a, a disciple in Ghana <laughs> that he's reaching people. Or this is around the world. That's that's the power of the information age on on the uh, on the positive side. Um, kind of jumping around here, but the, uh, go to um, uh, twelve seven. I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, and he raised his right hand, and he left, and he said. Uh, um, it's going to be for a time, times, and half a time. As soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. What does it mean to shatter the power of the holy people? What does that, what does that mean? Um, this is, this is uh, the Antichrist is going to be God's agent um, to do this unusual work of completely shattering Israel's pride and their self-sufficiency. They are going to they are going to suffer. Other books of the Bible, Zechariah in particular, talk about two thirds of Israel being wiped out, um, and and at at some point they get so broken that all they can do is turn and say, "Come, Lord Jesus," you know, and that's that's the 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 thing that the Messiah, the one we love, is waiting for, um, and so this is uh, the reference to the uh, time times and half a time um, means a, t- a unit two units, and a half a unit. And typically, most uh, Bible scholars are, are defining those as years. So it's a classic three-and-a-half-year period of the seven-year period that we think is going to be the tribulation. Tribulation is seven years. It becomes the great tribulation around the middle mark, around three-and-a-half years, where the uh, sacrifice is stopped, the abomination of desolation is set up, and at that point, Jesus says, it's, you're in the great tribulation. Um, chapter 11 and 12 has five trends, and I steal these, I mean, without apology, directly from Mike Bickle. Five trends of, of, of what you can look for, and I just want to go through them really quick, um, that tells you that you're he- heading in the, in the uh, direction of the, of the coming of the Antichrist. Um, there are five trends that are talked about in chapter 11, and then they're repeated again in chapter 12. So the trend one is there's going to be a time of trouble. It's going to be a difficult time of trouble. There's going to be a distress of nations, very much like what we're having. Oh, and by the way, the premise of these is we are going to experience them in the future, and we're experiencing them at a, at a level right now. So we can see them, and we can see them as they increase. So it'll be a time of trouble. There will be distress of nations under that time of trouble, meaning uh, you know, an increase in racial tensions, an increase in terrorism, increase in financial difficulties, weather issues, etc. The very things that we are falling, going through right now at a small level, financial crisis. Um, men's hearts will fall from fear, uh, and, and that will lead to um, another part of a time of trouble, which is a great falling away. Many of the people that we uh, run with, um, and and know and love. I mean, it's happening. I can I can name uh, people that I know right now who have just ceased to follow the Lord, either at all or at a, or at the same level of fervency. They just have kind of lost interest. They've kind of gone adrift. They've they've gotten disappointed in the church because of its stance here or its performance there. 
and they've kind of equated that with with somehow with God. It, it's very uh, sad, frankly, by the way, when I uh, listened to a couple of messages on the way out to New Haven on Daniel, listening to churches and the way that they talk about Daniel. And, and I got I there's some technical details that are really good. But typically, the end of the conversation with the church is you want to be um, on the right side of God because you want to go to heaven. That's their conclusion. And so, and that's not wrong. I, it was good enough for me for 10 years <laughs> to, be, to be locked into going to heaven and to being uh, in heaven with the Lord. Can't wait to get there. What we've discovered in this room and what Carla was singing about even tonight is there's a there's a place of intimacy with the Lord in real time right now that you can have in your day to day and where you fall in love with him moment by moment where you are actively in love with this man that you can't see ever tell you the story about the friend of mine who stood up in a restaurant one time and said I'm in love with a man and everybody looked at him because his name is Jesus he's coming back Anyway, everybody thought that was right. it was unusual, but he we we get to have that intimacy with the Lord right now, and that's that's different than thinking I want to get right with Lord with the Lord. I want to be pure because I want to be able to be qualified to go to heaven. This is much more of a hard thing that whatever He wants, I don't want to do anything that's opposed Him. I want to please Him. I want to be in love, passionately in love, in a moment by moment basis with that man whose voice I cherish. And so I, I, uh, I was kind of grieving a little bit because, of, because there's entire bodies of, of people who are basically living their lives kind of for the, for the um, here and now, I mean, for the, the not yet, you know. Um, and it, they miss out on so much. You miss out on a moment-by-moment thing. I recommend going to the Friday Song of Solomon class where you basically are are getting the language, the vocabulary around a, a love song with Jesus that that brings you to that that perspective. Um, so um, there's going to be a time of trouble. There's going to be ma- so five signs: time of trouble, uh, uh, including time of trouble around the nations, the great falling away. Second great trend is going to be there's going to be supernatural ministry. We see elements of it right now, but I mean, we're talking about an increase. This, this chapter starts off saying, now at that time, Michael, the great prince uh, who stands guard over your people, Daniel, stands guard over the Jewish people, Daniel, he's going to arise and there's going to be a time of distress uh, that such as never has occurred. But Michael, the, the uh, chief angel of Israel, is going to be rising up. There's going to be demonic clashes and angels clashing. I'm not going to get into... Uh, what this means, but but the elements, the uh, the activities of Revelation 12 are going to happen at around this time, um, and there's going to be uh, much more. There's going to be the outpouring of the Spirit, like Joel talked about. We had a piece of it at Acts, uh, at the Book of Acts, but that was 120 people in a room. We're talking global, worldwide, massive increase in terms of supernatural uh, ministries. Uh, Daniel calls them exploits. Um, uh, and so there's going to be a, a huge increase in, in that. Um, God, uh, there's going to be uh, God's, trend number three is God's people are going to get delivered. Um, now, there's if you read through Daniel 12, 
There's verses like um, times of distress, uh, um, but people are going to be rescued, verse, verse 1. Um, uh, people are going to be shattered, and yet the, the uh, uh, nation of Israel will survive. Um, and so uh, your people will be delivered. Those who sleep in the dust shall awake. Um, there's going to be a lot of what we saw happening in the gospel. In other words, um, Peter is, in, is guarded by a, in, a, in a Roman jail with the powers of the Roman Empire guarding him. And the angels open the door and Peter walks out. There's nothing that can stop Peter from escaping that jail. James is in the very same jail and he's executed. You know, John is beheaded by the capricious act of a of a of a uh, of a egotistical ruler, um, and yet you know Peter is delivered, and 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 John lives to be you know over 90 years old. There's going to be just you know one martyred here, another who survives there. There's going to be those kind of stories where there's going to be great deliverances. When they fall, they're going to get a little bit of help. That's in Daniel 11:34. Um, trend number four many are going to be walking in righteousness uh, and that's that's the good news uh, the believers are going to be repenting of compromise they're going to be walking in purity um, uh, unbelievers from every uh, turning to Jesus from every tribe um, the great harvest in Bickle's opinion I'll just quote him here he thinks it's going to be mostly young people um, not 57 year olds <laughs> Sorry. I was young when I got saved. <laughs> <laughs> Not 63 years old. Um, the harvest in general is mostly going to be young people. Um, they're going to be focused and dedicated. Uh, and so Bickle says, I, I reject this idea that the youth of today are completely distracted by their phones or their, their computers, etc. There's going to be a, a, a group of them. They're going to rise up and they're going to choose to go after God. They're going to use those devices in order to enable their walk with the Lord. They're going to be, they're going to walk in humility. They're going to walk in purity. They're going to walk in, uh, they're going to enjoy spending time with God. And here we've got a group of people coming in on Thursday morning, at waking up at 5.30 in the morning, coming in at 6, worshiping the Lord, high school kids. They're waking up at 5, high school kids coming in and, and sitting before the Lord in music and prayer. And so there's going to be people like that. We, we happen to have a, 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 a sampling of them that represents a worldwide movement that, that's going to be part of this, walking in righteousness. Um, and there's going to be an increased understanding to know God and his plan, which is why we spend time in here going through some of the, the end times work, just trying to get an understanding of the structure, trying to get an understanding of, 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 uh, of what's going on. Not to be a know-it-all, but there's going to be times when things start going south where they're going to be looking around for somebody that knows a little bit about what's going on. And at that point, you want to find somebody who's humble and who knows their God and who's able to explain this is all about a love dance with the God of the universe and you want to, get, you want to fall in love with him right now. Um, as people encounter the heart of the God and as they encounter, encounter the beauty of the Lord, um, they're, going to want to, they're going to want to see him through that lens of love. Um, I want to read this um, uh, thing that I, is on my mind from, uh, let me see if I have it. Um, I, there's a, a man named Polycarp who, uh, lived, who died in 155 AD. He was a disciple of the Apostle John. Um, and uh, he uh, was the Bishop of Smyrna. 
Uh, Smyrna is written in the book of Revelation. I'm going to read the, the uh, chapter on, on Smyrna from the book of Revelation, and I'm going to read a little bit of, of his um, uh, story here. Um, so Polycarp. Here's the, here's the uh, uh, church of Smyrna in uh, Revelation 2, 8 through 11. To the, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, but yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid about what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you your life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by a second death. Um, his arrest was about to happen, and the elderly Bishop Polycarp had left Smyrna, uh, this is in 155, hidden in a farmhouse. The threat on his life is real. The Smyrnans, the people who live in Smyrna, have recently executed several Christians for their faith, and now this pagan mob is demanding the bishop's life. They're fiercely loyal to Rome, and they're fiercely loyal to the Roman gods. Kill the church leader, they reason, and the church will die. So the governor dispatches soldiers to track down the old man who has the distinction of being one of the last churchmen to have actually studied at the feet of one of the Lord's apostles, the long-lived John. The soldiers care nothing about this. Intent on locating him, they torture witnesses who reveal Polycarp's whereabouts. His hiding place is betrayed. Polycarp moves to another one. One must face martyrdom boldly when it comes, he believes, but no one should seek it, which I think is good advice. The authorities discover where he's hiding, and the soldiers arrive to arrest him, and he welcomes them as if they're old friends, and he asks if they be, that they be served food and drink, and all he requests is an hour to pray before he's marched to the arena. And they agree, and they listen to his godly prayers, and the soldiers wonder why they are arresting him. Surely this is a good man. They allow the hour to stretch into two, and finally they can delay no longer. They haul Polycarp in. When he nears the city, a, a heathen magistrate approaches in a chariot, and takes Polycarp into the chariot. The magistrate tries to persuade the Christian to sacrifice to the gods, but finding that he can make no headway, he pushes him out of the chariot so roughly that he falls and he scrapes open the flesh on his chin. Showing as little pain as possible, the bishop limps behind the soldiers into the amphitheater where great numbers of people are gathered. At the sight of him, the mob sets the loud cries of rage and savage delight, but Polycarp hears a voice telling him, be strong and play the man. Consequently, he does not allow the spite of the crowd to trouble him. The governor asks him to deny Christ and promises that if he will, his life will be spared. And there it is. But the faithful bishop answered, this is the famous quote from Polycarp, which is why I looked this up, because I was thinking I remember this quote. Four score and six years I've served him, and he has never done me injury. How then can I now blaspheme my king and my savior? Eighty-six years I've served him, and he's never done me any injury. How can I now blaspheme my king and my savior? That's Polycarp's famous line. And so he rejects the pressures to deny Jesus and save himself. The governor threatens to burn him. Polycarp turns the table and says, No, you're in danger of eternal fire yourself. Polycarp ignores the warning and the issues, uh, orders the execution to proceed. The governor does. 
The soldiers prepare to nail Polycarp to the stake, but he assures them nails won't be needed, so he's just tied instead. The fire is lit and the flames rise around them, but what is this? The fire parts around Polycarp. It's as if the flames avoid him. Eyewitnesses claim that his body glowed like gold in a fire. And finally, a soldier whose usual task is to put wounded animals out of their misery executes the bishop with a sword. But the, and the man dies, an inspiration to others who would perish in similar circumstances. That's Polycarp. I just read that because that's going to be our story. You know, how can we deny? It's not going to be, how can we deny the Lord that's going to, that's going to give me heaven when I finally die? It's going to be, how can I deny the Lord that I have walked with day by day and moment by moment? Um, the, this man, um, Simeon, in the book of uh, Luke, waiting for Jesus, um, he's often overlooked. Um, I'm just going to read this out of Luke. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is, he was waiting for this promise. Some versions say, you know, he was living in prayerful expectation of help for Israel. But this, this old man, I mean, it's been 400 years of nothing from the Lord. No word from the Lord for 400 years. You know, they've had the rise up of the Maccabees. They've had the dedication, of the, the rededication of the temple. But the Lord has been mostly silent. The last prophet was Micah, 500 year, 400 years before. So very little word from the Lord. But Simeon has this sense that something is happening, and he's walking with the Lord. Very similar to Daniel. Very similar to us. It's been 2,000 years since the Lord has been walked the earth, and we expect him to come back now. And it can feel like, you know, could be now, it could be another 2,000 years. I mean, it's really hard to tell. Simeon was in that condition. Um, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen them, the Lord's Messiah. So he goes to the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child uh, uh, for Jesus to do uh, for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. What you have prepared in the light of all nations, a light of the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Part of what was informing Simeon's expectations was a direct word from the Holy Spirit. And part of it was this very book of Daniel, the, the very one where we expect this Messiah to come. He's expecting the servant to come. Um, and he held on to it righteously and devout. And, and so finally, um, you know, there's this, this thing about, um, I'm, I, I, Daniel, saw an angel on one side of the river and an angel on the other side of the river. And, you know, nobody talks about that uh, in terms of what that might mean, why the Lord chose that particular format to inform Daniel about these coming events. But there's an angel on this side of the river, Tigris River. There's an angel on the other side of the river, very likely Tigris River, I was going to say. And there's a there's a man dressed in linen rising above. Some say it was a pre-incarnate Christ who was giving these words. Um, but I, I think it has a whole lot to do with what happened to Joshua, uh, as in Joshua, the, the leader of uh, Moses' leader. He's getting ready to cross the river, Joshua is. And the river is going to part just the same way, and the water is going to form in a heap way upstream, just like it did for Moses. Joshua is the leader following after Moses. Hard act to follow. Hard act to follow after Moses. 
And Joshua is a nervous young leader, and and, Mo, and the Lord is going to tell him, Joshua, I want you to follow this direction. And so he has to obey and follow. And when he crosses over, he's in a different mode than he was. He's out of the wilderness setting, and he's in the promised land. And that's a lot of where, what we are uh, as a church. Where he, he says, um, you, are, you started in this life, but it's time to cross over the river and be radical for the Lord. So, so that's, that's what we end up doing in, in light of Daniel. We decide it's time to get radical with the Lord. It's time to be in a community where we seek after him. Um, it doesn't mean that we have to have a lot of animation and wild dancing and worship. It just talks about a resolve to just love the Lord, to sit at his feet. To, to wait for him, to do, to choose the better thing is what is what the Lord told Mary. Um, so we're going to do that even right now. Just are, are you our leader? Yeah, we're, um, we'll just join in a little bit of worship um, uh, around whatever verses that text with Christ and Daniel. We didn't really talk about the 1290 and the 1535 days. That's a uh, that's a um, fun topic to talk about, um, but we'll, we can maybe have a question and answer if you want. But uh, yeah. Stan, great job. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Does she want me to play the under Daniel? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Ooh, great. Yeah.